Well, hello, Vail Church. How are we doing today? All right, good to see you. Hey, my name is Corey. I've got the privilege of serving on staff here as one of the pastors and part of the teaching team. It is good to have you guys with us. If you're in the room, you know the deal. If you can help me welcome those joining us online. We've got Missouri, Nebraska, North Carolina, North Dakota, California, Iowa, all over Illinois. It's good to have you guys with us as well. Good to be with you guys. Do you guys ever get stressed out? Well, maybe, maybe specifically, do you, do you ever get stressed out about making decisions, or is that just me? Like, I feel like they may just be a me thing. Now, of course, this is something we experience. This is something that is just a part of life. We all get stressed about making decisions at one time or another. Personally, I, I have found that there are just some decisions that require a little bit more from me. There are some that just take a little bit more thought and push me more than others. And here's the thing that may be surprising. I'm not talking about big decisions. Like when we were talking about moving our family from Kentucky to Illinois to join the staff here at Vail, that wasn't really that tough for us. Now see, what I'm talking about is, is the small things that usually get me. Like when you're at a restaurant, when I'm at a restaurant with a group of people and I don't know what I want to eat yet. And the waiter or the waitress, they're making their way around the table and I still don't know what's going on. You ever been in that moment? It's that moment where I'm looking at all the options and there are lots of things that look great and I know what I like. The problem is, is that I like a lot. And so it's hard for me to land on one thing. And so I start thinking, well, what, what have I had recently or what are, are some things that sound good or what do I not like so that I can start crossing some things off so maybe I can land on a choice. But then the doubts start to creep in. The what ifs. Well, what if I order the wrong thing? Well, what if I order something that, that is good, but someone else orders something that looks better? Well, what if the thing that I want, they don't have, and then I have to think of something else on the spot? What if I don't know what I want by the time the waiter or waitress gets to me? What if I like what I get, but I still have some regrets of I wish I would have got something else? You can see that there is a lot of pressure riding on this decision. We've all had a moment like this. Maybe not something like deciding what you want to eat. Maybe it was something that was serious. A moment where we faced having to make a choice, and we were the ones who had to make the decision. And in that moment, man, some of us thrive, and some of us hide. See, making decisions, it's easy for some people. It's not so easy for others, but it's something that we all face. We all face making big decisions. We, we face making little decisions, decisions that affect a lot of people, decisions that affect a few or maybe even only affect just us. All of us face decisions every day, even if we don't realize it. And for those of you who may be a little bit like me, I don't always like being in that spot. Being the person that the decision rides on, it causes different reactions in different people. Some of us, we find joy and excitement when the decision is ours to make, and we've been waiting for someone to ask us what we want to do or what our thought or our opinion is. Some people just make the decision so they can move on and get on with life, but others, man, others become anxious or nervous or overwhelmed. And we're wrapping up our series today, Anxious for Nothing. And the truth of it is, is no matter who you are, no matter what you do, no matter where you live, no matter your age, your gender, your race, anxiety is just a part of life. And while it does have a bigger and different effect depending on who you're talking to, it's still a part of life. Now, we've been defining anxiety as this. Anxiety is a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease about an approaching event or something with an uncertain outcome. Now, what we're going to be focusing on today is talking about the anxiety that comes when we're faced with making decisions. 
And you, you may be wondering, like, why, why are we talking about this in church? This seems like kind of a weird thing to talk about in church. Now, the reason we're talking about this in church is because the anxiety about making decisions, it's not just a workplace thing. It's not just a home life thing. It plays out in our faith as well. See, the decisions that we have made and we will make in the future that are based on how our faith plays out in our lives, that's something that all of us will have to face. Now, throughout this series, we've been focusing in on this passage from the letter of Philippians. And I want to give you a little bit of context that is the situation the Apostle Paul finds himself in when he writes this letter. So it's around the year AD 62, which we believe to be very close to the end of Paul's life. And over the last several decades, what Paul has been doing is he's been traveling around the known world, spreading the gospel. And along his journeys, he's been planting churches and he's been encouraging churches and church leaders. And though the gospel is spreading throughout Asia and Europe and Northern Africa, the place that Paul could have the most impact for the gospel is in the city of Rome. And the reason for this is because Rome was kind of the center of the known world at this point. The the leading authorities are based there. Everybody went through Rome at some point or another for different travel or business or any of that stuff. And so the people are there and the people are there who are going to go back to their homes. And so Paul can have a great impact for the gospel in Rome, but his journeys keep taking him everywhere else, taking him around Rome, taking him close, but not quite there. But eventually Paul makes it to Rome, not as a preacher, but as a prisoner, It's because of his dedication uh, of talking about Jesus to anyone and everyone, paired with his willingness to not back down from a challenge or an argument, man, all of the, the authorities, both government and religious, they've labeled him as a threat. And so now Paul's everyday life has turned to being in a cell, day after day not knowing if today was the day that he was going to go to trial or if the leaders were going to decide, you know what, we're not even going to do a trial, we're just going to kill you. Man, talk about some anxiety. But as he's waiting in prison, Paul takes the opportunity to write a letter to his friends in the church in the city of Philippi. And in this letter, he writes these words that we've been looking at in Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in prayer, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, we got to remember that the man writing these words He is in physical chains around his hands and his feet. He he doesn't know what's going to go on or what's going to happen or when. And he is telling other people, you know what? Don't be anxious about anything. Don't worry. Rejoice. You, You know what? I'll even say it again. Rejoice. Now, I don't know about you. But when I'm feeling anxious or I'm worrying about something, the last thing that I want to do is rejoice. I don't want to do it. You know what I want to do? I want to worry and I want to complain and I want to throw a pity party where the main attraction and the guest of honor is me. And I'm guessing that some of you are that same way when anxiety hits you. How many of you have ever found yourself anxious because you're facing a decision and you just don't know what to do? 
I know that at some point this has had to ring true in your life, and it's been researched again and again, the effects that decision-making has on people. Making decisions, it often feels complicated. And not because it's a life or death deal, it's just that we've become more and more reluctant to make a definitive decision and stick to it. And if you, if you don't believe me, think about the last time you were with a group or maybe even with your family and this question came out. Where do you want to eat? What do you want to do? What should we watch? I'm guessing it took a little bit of time for you guys to land on something because everybody's a little hesitant to make the decision. Now, a study was done at Cornell, and in this study, it found that the average kid faces 3,000 decisions a day. 3,000 decisions a day for kids to make. That seems crazy. But if you think that seems crazy, this same study found that adults face 35,000 decisions a day. 35,000 opportunities to make a choice to make a decision of some magnitude. And for, for a lot of you, if you struggle with making decisions, hearing these numbers, man, maybe that, that caused a little bit of anxiety to rise up in you right now, thinking about all those decisions. Man, that's a whole lot, and that's a lot of things for me to decide, and I don't know if I can do that. And making a decision, it, it can be one of the most anxiety-inducing things that we deal with on a regular basis. And again, it's not because every decision is life or death or even a big deal, but what happens is that we often let the what-ifs rule out in our mind. The what-ifs of the, the situations that may happen. Well, what if I choose the wrong option? Well, what if I, I choose something that's good, but it's not the best? What if I make a mistake that I can't undo? What if, what if, what if? If you remember back to week one of the series, Pastor Ted shared that there's three things that can happen when we have worry or we are anxious about something. The first thing is nothing. Nothing happens. The thing that we were anxious about, the thing we were worrying about, doesn't happen at all. The second thing is that something happens, but it's not as bad as we thought. The third thing is that it is as bad as we thought or worse. But for those of us who love and follow Jesus, hopefully... We trust that God is with us in that moment and that God will lead us through that. The thing that stinks about this, though, is that even when we believe that God is there with us in our worry and that our anxiety is known to him, fear is still a strong emotion. And it's one that can overtake us easily if we let it. See, when we're facing a decision, especially tough ones, there's so many reasons we can come up with to not make the decision, and almost all of those reasons are fear-based. We struggle to make certain decisions because we got the fear of missing out. Well, what if I make a choice, but then later on I see that my decision caused me to miss out on something else? Or we fear the ridicule that might come from other people because of the choice we make. Or we, we fear that, that we may make a costly mistake that we can never recover from. Or my, my personal favorite that I go to all the time is the fear of failure. Because I hate the reality that I may make a choice that disappoints somebody else or lets somebody else down. Well, what did Paul say to do in those moments when fear or worry or anxiety try and overtake us? He said to pray. He said to rejoice, to, to rejoice in, in who God is and what God can do. 
But you see, there's this, there's this annoying thing that we Christians like to do to add on to the stress of an already stressful situation. When we're already anxious about making some kind of decision, we like to amp that up. And you're like, how would we do that? Or why would we do that? You see, Christians have this way of throwing in this question of, well, what's God's will for my life? See, this is a, this is a question that, that Christians have wrestled with for generations. We, we want to see if our life is lined up with where we think God is leading us. We've always been trying to seek out what our purpose is. What is the meaning of my life? What is it that God wants me to do? And so when it comes to making decisions, especially big ones, we tend to worry about it if our choice is lined up with God's will or not. Is this choice what God wants or is this what I want? Is this where God is leading me? And I can't tell you how many times I've had this conversation with students as they were trying to figure out where to go to college. Well, I just don't know what school I'm supposed to go to. I don't know if God is leading me to go here or go there. I don't know if this school or that school is the right choice. And I loved watching their faces every time when I would listen and I would respond with the gentle, loving wisdom of saying, I don't think God cares. And some of you are laughing, but some of you have the same response and reaction that they did of shock. And some of them would even be offended. What do you mean God doesn't care? You can't say that. You can't say God doesn't care about this. What do you? But then I would go on to explain that it's not that God doesn't care about where they went to college or if they even went to college. He cares more about whether or not they would live their lives for him regardless of what school they did or didn't go to. Now, I can tell you this, man, when you are in the middle of struggling to make a decision, whatever the decision is, man, God is with you. But God cares more about whether or not you stay faithful to him in whatever you choose. Because whatever decision we're facing, as long as it's not sinful, man, God can and will use us when we continue to allow him to be part of our lives and part of our decision-making. And when we do that, missing out on God's will, it's not an option because he will use our decisions when we are focused on honoring him in whatever we put our hands to. That's how God works. I wanna take us to a moment in the early church where a decision had to be made that had massive implications for the people of the time, but also for everyone after that. And in Acts chapter 15, we find Paul, the same guy that wrote Philippians, and he's got two other church leaders with him, Barnabas and James. And at this time, they're in the city of Jerusalem. And what's happening is that there are ongoing major theological discussions that are happening about the practices among believers. And one of the ongoing arguments and conversations and topics of concern was what food was allowed or not allowed for those who are trying to follow and honor God. Now to us, this seems like kind of a silly thing to, to spend so much time talking about and having these discussions about, but we've got to remember what the context was. You see, these are people who are still struggling to reconcile generations of following the Mosaic Covenant, which is all the rules and regulations from the Old Testament and the New Covenant that Jesus has set up when he came on the scene. And the reason that there's so much tension, you could even say anxiety about what's going on here is because when Jesus showed up, there were parts of the old laws and restrictions that he removed. And it's not because they were wrong or bad or any of that. It's just that they were no longer necessary because of who Jesus was and what Jesus had done. 
And so the conversations are happening about what food is allowed and not allowed, but then the conversation it shifts its focus to the Gentile believers. Now, Gentiles were anybody who was not Jewish. If you remember, the Jewish people, they had been God's chosen people for thousands of years. But through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, the gospel message of God's salvation has now become available for everyone. And because the, the, the Gentiles are new on the scene to this and they're new to the game, they haven't been following the Jewish laws and regulations that everybody else had for generations. And so the discussion about what food is allowed and not allowed, it is about them, but then it ramps up. See, the old covenant was recognized and solidified through the act of circumcision, which is something that every Jewish male went through. The Gentiles did not carry out this practice. And so the Jewish leaders, they, they bring up the fact that according to the law of Moses, if you want to be saved, you've got to be circumcised. And you can see how this conversation has just become a much larger topic. And not because you've probably got male Gentile believers around who are hearing this conversation going, whoa, 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 what, what was that part? What, what do we got to do? Like, no, this isn't about that. Now it's not just talking about if we're living right or not through what we eat or don't eat. Now we're talking about eternal implications. Can a Gentile be saved if they aren't circumcised? Can anybody follow Jesus if they aren't circumcised? And so Paul and Barnabas and the church leaders, they are facing a decision that now has eternal impact. This is a doctrinal decision that can determine someone's eternal destiny. That is an anxiety-inducing decision right there. But I want you to see what they concluded. And in Acts chapter 15, starting in verse 22, it says, Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. And it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these, you will do well." Now, to sum all of that up, it seemed good to these church leaders to simplify things. It seemed right to them to not overcomplicate the issue, to not create more barriers for someone trying to follow Jesus. In other words, it seemed right to them to make following Jesus easier and not more difficult by putting all these rules and regulations on the people. And that all sounds good, but... What happens here is some people could take this to mean that they could just keep living life the way that they see fit, doing life the way that seems right to them and still say, hey, I'm still following Jesus. And isn't that the spot that our culture has landed in today? We've, we've fallen into this trap of believing that if something seems right or feels right, then it must be right. We say things like, well, you know, just do you or you do what, what feels right. Just do what seems right to you. But scripture's got a warning about that. In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, it says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. The decisions that we make and how we make them matters. Have you ever noticed that there are decisions that seem right and feel right, but they lead you to the wrong spot? 
I'm sure for a lot of us, if we took some time to think about it, we, we could probably think of several times in our lives where this has rung true. Maybe we think back to our teenage years, our years as a young adult and the decisions that we've made. You might have your dating history playing through your mind right now. Man, that relationship, it felt good and it seemed right in the moment, but it definitely was not good for you. Or, or maybe it's the friend group that you had or possibly even still have. And sometimes we make decisions that seem right and feel right, but are still wrong. And so how, how are both of these parts of scripture true? How can Paul and Barnabas and the church leaders say that it seemed right to make the decisions they made and follow through with it, but Proverbs says that the ways that seem right to men leads to death? Well, you've got to look at their surroundings, and not their, their physical surroundings, you've got to look at the people that they surrounded themselves with. Because you see, if you're around the wrong people, listening to the wrong voices, living for the wrong values, what seems right will often be wrong. Now, this is super important for us to pay attention to, and so I want to say this again. If you are in the wrong crowd, and we typically know if we are, if you're listening to the wrong people and the opinions of people and allowing that to influence you and not following God, if you're following worldly values and not spiritual ones, then what often seems right will lead you to a space that is incredibly wrong. Have you ever found yourself in that spot? Have you ever come to the realization that, that maybe the people that you surrounded yourself with that you're allowing to influence your decisions or maybe the things that you're allowing to, to influence your choices are actually pulling you away from God. They're pulling you away from life and toward death. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. And so how can Paul and Barnabas and the church leaders be so confident in making the decision? Because again, this decision is a big deal. It's so much bigger than, hey, can we eat these pork chops and this bacon and still be cool with Jesus? Like, is that okay now? Like, no. Now it's about doctrine. It's about church direction. It's about eternal destiny. And they're making this decision based on what seemed good. Well, let's look back at Acts chapter 15 and let's see the key parts that maybe we missed the first time. It says, then it seemed good to the apostles with the whole church to choose men to send. It seemed good to us, having become of one mind, to select men to send, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit. Are we seeing the difference here? See, when it comes to making this decision, one side is what seems right to men. The other side is what seems right to the unified church and the Holy Spirit. The ways that seem right to men leads to death. The ways that seem right to the Holy Spirit leads to life. Now, if you were to look at everything going on around these guys this time, you look at everything happening in the world at this moment, and you look at even the, the Christian and the church culture, you had people all over the place saying, do this or do that. Do what seems right according to your thoughts. But the church leaders were relying on the Holy Spirit to lead and to guide them. And the reason that things seemed right to the apostles and to the leaders and to the whole church is because they were following God's leading. See, one thing that stays consistent throughout Scripture, and this is something that a lot of us, we know to be true through our own experiences, is that our proximity to Jesus has an effect on our lives. You see, when we're striving to stay close to and stay focused on Jesus, 
man, that's when we can feel things change. Now, when we're focused on Jesus, it doesn't mean that there's no problems. It doesn't mean that things are perfect. It doesn't mean that the anxiety just goes away. But when we decide to place our trust in who Jesus is and what Jesus can do, we find that we've got the strength and the perseverance to push through whatever we're facing. And what happens is that along the way, there can be things that show us, hey, maybe we're starting to drift off course a little bit. Maybe our our focus is starting to shift a little. Now, earlier in this series, we, Pastor Ted talked about the dashboard in your car. And now all across your dashboard are all these little symbols and these little icons. And typically, they go unnoticed because when everything is operating as it should, there's no need for them to come on. But when one of them lights up, man, it's alerting you that something in your car isn't right. That something needs attention. And I don't know about you, but when one of those lights lights up on my dashboard, there's a little bit of panic that starts to rise up in me. There's an anxiousness that because I I might not immediately know what the problem is or or how to fix it, all the what ifs. Well, what if something bigger goes on? What if I break down on the side of the road? What if the whole thing just blows up? And anxiety is like that. It's an alert that some part of you needs attention or help. And often we let that alert start to cause a little panic or a little uncertainty in us. But if we let it, anxiety can be that alert telling us that it's time to pray. Because like you've heard us say before, if something's big enough for us to worry about, it is absolutely big enough for us to pray about. But here's what you need to know and understand about prayer. Prayer should not, and it just should not be a last ditch effort for us to try and salvage a situation after we have tried everything we can think of to fix it. You see, when we go to prayer first, when when we give control to God, or this is crazy, or when we admit that we never had control in the first place, I mean, that's when change can happen. As much as we like to try and keep control over the things in our lives, that is not always the best decision and sometimes not even possible. Because you see, we don't always have the power to control, but we always have the power to surrender. Listen to that again. We don't always have the power to control the things that happen in our lives, but we always have the power to choose to surrender it all to God. In this series, we've talked about how we should praise God because of who He is. That when we have a perspective of praise, that's when we can see change happen in our lives. And when we surrender control to God and we've got a perspective of praise in everything that we do, it may not take away our problems, it may not take away our anxiety or our worry in a moment, but it does change our outlook and our approach in moving ahead. And this is especially true in times of anxiety or uncertainty or even indecision. A while ago, I heard a pastor make this statement, and I think it's the perfect way to sum up this whole series. With a posture of prayer, and a perspective of praise, we will seek God and do what seems right. So to bring us back to where we started in all of this, when we're facing a decision and we just don't know what to do, how do we do it? Because again, our tendency is to think of all the what ifs. Well, what if I make the wrong choice? What if I miss out on something better? What if I make a decision and I can never take it back? With a posture of prayer, in a perspective of praise, we will seek God and do what seems right. 
See, when we've got a posture of prayer, we are allowing God to be a part of our decision-making process. And when we do that, we're not leaning on ourselves. We're not leaning on other people. We're seeking God's direction and guidance. And when we've got a perspective of praise, we realize that God is always with us and God is always good, even in the trials. And when we're facing decisions, when we're in that spot where a choice has to be made and we're the ones who have to make it, remembering to pray and invite God into the process is a great thing. Remembering to praise God for who He is and what He will do is a great thing. But what if we've still got some fear or uncertainty about our choice? Well, think of it like this. Think about when you use the GPS in your car. How many times have you been driving to a destination, you got the GPS giving you directions, and you make a wrong turn? That helpful voice comes through the speakers and says, rerouting. See, no matter how many times you make a wrong turn, the GPS is going to continue to reroute and provide guidance to get you back on track. Could, could you imagine that after making so many wrong turns, your GPS was just like, you know what? You obviously don't know what you're doing. I'm out, okay? Or, or you clearly don't want to go where you said you wanted to go, and so I'm going to pick where we're going. Enjoy the ride. No, it doesn't do that, okay? The GPS, it doesn't do that because its goal is to get you to your destination, and that's what happens when we rely on God in uncertain situations. That's what we believe happens when, when we are in community and connection with other believers. You see, when we are in community and connection with God and with other believers, when we make a wrong turn, when we hit the bumps in the road, even if we get completely lost, God and God's people through the direction of the Holy Spirit, man, they will help direct us back to the right track. That's what's happening in the book of Acts when Paul and the other leaders are trying to make this decision. They were encouraging each other. They were challenging each other. And the biggest thing is they were all making sure to do their best to stay focused on God because they knew that God was going to lead them where they needed to go. And here's what you need to know. Your experiences, your wrong turns, even your wrong choices, they aren't wasted when God becomes a part of your life. With a posture of prayer and with a perspective of praise, we will seek God and do what seems right. And Paul ended up in prison. And I don't know about you, but that's, that sure seems like a wrong turn. But Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. See, in that moment where you're facing a decision, whether it's a big decision, whether it's a little decision, and you start to feel the anxiety rising up in you, remember that even if you make a wrong turn, God is still at work. Well, well what if, what if I, I mess up, or, or what if I, I miss out, or what if I make a mistake? One wrong turn is not going to keep you off of God's path. And there's some of you here in the room right now, there's some of you online that you are loving hearing that because you know that you've made a wrong turn or two along the way. Maybe you've even taken 10, 20, or 100 wrong turns. And the voice of the Holy Spirit is still rerouting you, still bringing you back on track, still leading you towards the destination. God always has a way of bringing good things out of wrong turns. Maybe you dated or are dating the wrong guy or the wrong girl. Maybe the decisions that you've made, they weren't the best. Maybe you've made some choices that turned out to be the wrong ones, but then you called on Jesus. And when you call on Jesus, you are forgiven and you are given a new direction. 
And even right now in this moment, if you feel that you're heading in the wrong direction, or you feel like you just keep making wrong turn after wrong turn after wrong turn, it is not too late. God is still there. See, anxiety will always try to distract you and keep you from moving ahead. It will always try to keep you from making it a choice at all, trying to keep you from not just going after the things that don't seem right, but are truly right. Don't complicate it. With a posture of prayer and a perspective of praise, we will seek God and do what seems right. Now, I think the best way for us to close out this series is simply to, again, remember the words that Paul wrote to the church in Philippians to encourage them. And here's the deal. I want to invite you, since you've been in this series throughout with us, I want to invite you to read this along with me. And don't be shy here. If you stumble on a word, it's cool. We're going to move through this, okay? And so let's read this together. Here we go. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Man, give it up for God. And we know that this is a heavy topic for a lot of us to deal with, but we also know that our God is a big God who works in the impossible situations. And so as we close today, I want to invite everyone with all heads bowed and all eyes closed. If you're here in the room or you're online with us and throughout today or throughout this series, God has been showing you and inviting you to rely more on Him. Man, today can be the day that you start that. Maybe anxiety is something that you struggle with on a daily basis and you've been trying to find all the right ways or just some way to deal with it. You've been trying to handle things on your own way and your own timing. You've been going after solutions that the world tries to offer and you're finding that nothing is working. God is inviting you to take him up on his offer to join his family and be another person that he continues to love and care for. God promises us that when we call out to him, he does respond. And that invitation for us to to take on his peace and the love that he can give us is always there. And for us to do that is simply is a matter of confessing and believing. In Romans chapter 10, it says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, it is in that moment that you are saved. And so if today is the day where you are ready to stop relying on yourself to get through this life and you are ready to rely on the promises that God gives to you, I want to give you the invitation to confess and believe. And God, right now, I want to thank you for those who are taking you up on your promise that when we confess and we believe that your son saved us from our sin, that God, in that moment, we are good. God, I thank you for the promises that you give us in scripture, that you will always be with us in the good times and the hard times, the ups and the downs. God, we thank you for being a God of continuous love and continuous guidance. And so God, I pray that you would give us the courage to rely on you when nothing else is working, for us to go to you first before trying to fix things ourselves. God, all it takes is that first step of trust, of starting to believe that you are who you say you are and you will do what you say you will do. 
So God, for those who are making that decision right now, we are celebrating. We know that you are celebrating with us. God, help us all to have the courage to move forward in this life, trusting that you are going with us, you are leading the way, and you are taking us to where you need us to go. God, we thank you so much for being a God that continually loves us no matter how many wrong turns we take. God, I thank you for that. God, it is in your name that we pray all these things. It is in your name that we hope. It is in your name that we trust. Amen. We hope this message challenged you, encouraged you, and most of all, brought you closer to a loving God who wants nothing but the best for you. If you have any questions about taking next steps in your faith journey, simply text NEXT to 309-777-0677. Everyone has a next step, and here at Vail, we would love to walk alongside you. If this message was impactful to you, we encourage you to share it. To stay connected to everything Vail Church, feel free to subscribe, visit our website at vail.church, and follow our socials on Instagram and Facebook. Lastly, for all of those who call Vail Church home, let's remember, worship faithfully, connect intentionally, give generously, and serve sacrificially. We'll see you next week.